Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. I definitely feel passionately and strongly about the um, authenticity movement in HR. Uh, I think a lot of times people push for authenticity and in many ways COVID did force authenticity as it relates to Zoom, as it relates to kind of breaking the um, the fourth wall between kind of like what you build uh, as your work persona and then ultimately what your you know, what your home life is like, maybe um, do you have kids? Are they in the background? Um, you know, are you kind of showcasing your space and what you, what you, what your home looks like, et cetera. So I think we're in a very unique time as it relates to the authenticity um, that we must bring to work. Garrison is the head of people at Notch, overseeing a strategy, DNI, talent, culture, and operations. Being mission-driven, he has worked exclusively for companies that make an impact with their work. He uses this mentality to impact company morale and culture, and he's an expert in innovating, elevating, and scaling practices and policies, especially in the startup and hyper-growth space. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another installment of our podcast, the Hacking HR podcast. And today I am with Garrison Gibbons, uh, the head of People at Notch. How are you, Garrison? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. You know, uh, all things considered, I think I'm, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm reading your shirt, Dare to Be Your Authentic Self. I know one of the things that you have been speaking about in a number of events and all the content that you're putting out there in, uh, on LinkedIn is about authenticity. authenticity. So uh, tell me more about it. You know, what's, uh, what, what, in your view, what does it mean to be authentic in the workplace and how can we build workplaces that actually, uh, you know, uh, invite people and encourage them to be who they truly are? Yeah, so I'll give a shout out to the Fluid Project, which is where the shirt is from and the style of the old Dare shirts that we wore um, in middle school if, or elementary school, um, if you were blessed to be a part of the Dare program. Um, the Fluid Project's amazing, like non-binary um, fashion brand um, that pushes to kind of break the stigma of uh, the binary of gender in fashion so definitely check them out um, if you haven't they also do a certification program now where they teach people to be more inclusive in their pronouns and the way in which they approach things so they actually verify businesses uh, for lgbtq inclusion so they're doing amazing work uh, under rob smith the ceo and co-founder um, yeah so i definitely feel passionately and strongly about the 
um, authenticity movement in HR. Uh, I think a lot of times people push for authenticity and in many ways COVID did force authenticity as it relates to Zoom, as it relates to kind of breaking the, um, the fourth wall between kind of like what you build uh, as your work persona and then ultimately what your, you know, what your home life is like. Maybe um, do you have kids? Are they in the background? Um, you know, are you kind of showcasing your space and what you, what you, what your home looks like, et cetera. So I think we're in a very unique time as it relates to the authenticity um, that we must bring to work. Um, but I also, as a queer person, understand that authenticity can be invasive. Um, you know, some, there have been times in my career where I have shared things in an effort to really break that, that barrier, but upon reflection, realized that those things weren't exactly what I maybe was comfortable sharing or what I wanted to share. Um, so there have been times that in an effort to really feel safe and secure in my job, I've, I've shared things um, in an effort to be authentic that I actually were maybe um, traumatic for me or maybe I wasn't ready to share. So what I speak about often is for HR people to remember that authenticity is great, but it also has to be earned and it has to be from a place and a culture that is accepting and that is inviting of that. And I think a lot of times people tout authenticity without actually doing the work to really ensure that the workplace is creating that environment to really yeah. allow that. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm glad that you are, uh, you know, talking about the side of the of the workplace to create an environment where people can be truly authentic. There's an interesting book actually. It doesn't have necessarily to do with authenticity. It's called An Everyone's Culture by I think it's Robert Keegan and you know a number of other authors in the book, and they talk about how people come to work. And they live like several kinds of life, right? And like one of them is the, the actual employee that you're paying to do work. And then other life is those people not even wanting to be there actively either looking for something else or doing something else in the time that they get paid to be at work. So, you know, I, I like to use this concept to as an analogy for authenticity because, you know, you got somebody who comes to work and you see one person but if you don't know their journey if you don't know what they're going through if you don't know them if you don't know them that well you you don't get to know the real person and you don't get to uh, you know you don't you don't perhaps you don't have you don't have the ways to unleash their their power and their potential and their talents if you don't know them that well so i think it's powerful that you're mentioning how important it is for a workplace to be an environment where people can be truly authentic so in your view what happens when, if, if, if you had the workplace that allows people to be truly authentic, what do you think happens with that workplace? What do you think happens with people in that workplace? Yeah, I mean, I think oftentimes when we have the conversation around diversity and inclusion, uh, we leave out the power of authenticity and the power of common connection. And you know, one of the things that I think authenticity allows is the opportunity for people to share a more holistic picture of themselves and to really find commonalities amongst each other. And so one of the things we know in studying LGBTQ history, as well as LGBTQ acceptance, is that as queer people were able to really showcase to, to straight 
cis individuals that they had commonality. And as people and individuals knew queer people, either in their immediate family, their best friends, as they started creating those relationships, they were generally more accepting of those individuals. So one of the things that um, the trans community is struggling with is that many Americans, the majority of Americans still don't know a trans person. So it's really hard for those individuals to understand and find commonality between trans individuals and really understand the struggle, really understand who they are and that they are in fact people. And so that really relates to the gamut of diversity and inclusion. Um, you know, if you don't have black people at, at your workplace, you're likely not going to be very accepting and we're creating a culture that is very inclusive to that view, to that human experience, that lived experience, et cetera. So what authenticity can allow is not only for those black, brown, queer, um, et cetera, people to be open and, and exist at work and even be hired at your workplace, but it also allows them to bring apart their culture and experience because it's one thing to have the diversity from a statistic perspective, and it's another thing to have that diversity and inclusion from an authenticity perspective. Um, you know, as a queer person, I'm more likely to take a job, but that doesn't mean I'm going to bring my queerness to work, bring my partner to work events, um, talk about LGBTQ issues at work, feel confident in bringing that up, feel confident planning a pride event, etc. So authenticity really breaks open not only the diversity to from being just, just a statistic and takes it and amplifies it to be more of an inclusive effort across the channels, whether that be from a product, whether that be from, you know, a campaign, whether that be from a hiring initiative, et cetera. I, I love that. I love the idea of going from numbers and statistics to actually embracing a culture of diversity because many, and, and you continue to see today, many organizations saying, I commit to hiring 50% of my workforce to be diverse. Yeah, well, well, you know, that doesn't really mean a lot if you hire 50% of your workforce to be diverse and you continue to operate in the same way, right? If you don't, if you don't allow people to come and bring, you know, not only the, themselves as part of the diverse workforce, but their culture with them and contribute to that organization. So I, I think that's a, that's extremely powerful, you know, especially in times where, uh, you know, a lot of organizations want to do something about inclusion, diversity, equity, but very often it ends up becoming just a number and a target uh, for their boards and their leadership positions, and then uh, it stays in there. Uh, you know, you, you work, you are in New York City, and, you know, very, uh, I mean, you're doing much better now than probably most states in America that very, you know, hardly hit at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, you know, so moving on from the conversation of authenticity, what changes do you have to uh, implement in your organization to adapt to this time of crisis? And I want you to answer this question also from your own very personal perspective, because I know you don't like working from home, you like working from the office, and I've seen you in the past five months and your struggles, so can you share with us a little bit of that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of HR people can probably identify with the fact that much of our work and or our assessment of employee productivity, um, employee morale, um, if you have historically worked in an in-person environment is based on in-person interaction. And so I think when the switch flipped seemingly overnight uh, to a remote experience, I realized and was forced to acknowledge how much of that, that experience I had conflated and or 
depended solely on human interaction um, and how that was challenged overnight. I think one thing this has made me respect and honor and look for is more data-driven people analytics experiences and um, and actually challenging myself to not rely solely on in-person interaction or in-person communication because one, people don't typically come to HR naturally, willingly. Um, you know, if you're lucky, you can get them to. Um, and I try my best to get them to, but I think ultimately only relying on that is not going to get an HR person very far. But two, I think having this challenge, trying to live up to it in some capacity and find the good in the challenge, I think was something that I tried to do. So I think, yeah, it was a very challenging thing for me to adjust to. Yeah. I think one of the things I love about work is that connection and is that environment. Um, one of the things I, I love and strive to be as an HR person is I try to be an authentic person. I've really taken the push to be less compliance driven and more people driven. Uh, I take that very seriously. And I think one of the ways I do that is by making jokes uh, at company meetings by, you know, touting who I am and telling my story, both online and in person. So I really try to find commonality and I, I approach people where they are. I think that's something that's very big. Um, and so, you know, when people were speaking openly and honestly about their struggles in COVID, you know, there were suddenly people that were sole breadwinners. There were suddenly people that were dealing with having to educate their kids at home. I tried to find the empathy there by also sharing with them my personal struggle. And so a lot of my company knew how I was dealing mentally and physically being trapped in this apartment, which now is bare because we are moving to a larger apartment as a result of COVID uh, this week in our same building. So my partner and I are in the midst of moving, uh, which is both a great thing and a horrible thing all at one time. But <laughs> More, no, I think, yeah. yeah. So I think some of the positives that have come out of this is one, it's, require me to be more data driven. Uh, not saying that I'm fearful of data, but definitely I would admit that is my weaker um, area just in terms of dashboards and viewing performance as a metric. Those are things that I've always been resistant of doing because I do want to continue to be people driven. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to get into a compliance area or a overly data driven area. Two, I think it's allowed or required me to embrace what technology can do for me. Um, I think I've had a lot more meetings with individuals actually as a result of Zoom, um, both by being able to add time to their calendar quickly, but two, I think people are more likely to interact with HR privately or discuss things yeah. privately on a Zoom that doesn't have to be public facing than they are in a glass office or, you know, in the kitchen, et cetera, uh, to an HR representative. So I think it's actually allowed me to be able to have those more transparent conversations in a less embrace, um, abrasive or less intimidating environment. Like I'm in my living room. It's not that serious. So please share with me whatever you have on your mind. So we've definitely learned a lot as a company. Um, I think one of the things that I've definitely tried to do is share openly my own feelings about the situation in an effort to really uh, level the playing field and let people know that I am a human being with my own experiences and my own challenges. And I, and I like that because, you know, very often, uh, if not for HR people, you know, for business leaders, uh, you know, employees tend to think, well, you know, this, these guys either have all the answers or they are not going through the same pains that we are going through. And I think that level of empathy 
and sharing your own stories in a vulnerable way creates an environment where people can trust that they are not alone in their in the struggle right and your struggle may be a little different than theirs but the fact that you're sharing it uh, empowers others to to share those stories as well uh, let me ask you garrison you know in your in your, your organization probably was operating a little bit different before coronavirus and out of the things that you have changed in in hr practices in business model practices what do you think you will be bringing and continue to do even if the pandemic ended tomorrow which won't happen but i mean that would be fantastic but what things do you will uh, will you continue to do going forward yeah so we've always had flexible time off and flexible work from home so we've always kind of had a relaxed nature i think the expectation still was when you need to be in the office please be in the office so though working from home was allowed it definitely was frowned upon more than like once a week i think that will change i think now we will see limited necessity for being in the office i think most leaders and most people will probably be in the office maybe two to three times a week at this time we don't have plans to be remote full time um but that that is something that we have considered obviously um as it pertains to rent as it pertains to talent etc i think we'll be less from a recruiting standpoint we'll be less focused on getting people in new york i think we'll be more open minded and having people located anywhere we do have remote employees now and we have had remote employees but i think just increasing that opportunity uh will be likely i think from a performance and productivity perspective i think we'll be less we will see hours spent in office or online as less of a metric as it relates to that and more in terms of output which i think is a positive thing for employees and from a diversity and inclusion perspective i think this black lives matter movement amplification over the last few months the amplification of that movement has really allowed us to be able to prioritize that and i think given that we are a startup and given that budgets are tight and trainings cost a lot of money uh rightfully so and um you know recruiting efforts if you want to post on variety of channels etc costs a lot of money mm-hmm. i think that given that we were a startup that would have been something that would have been less prioritized right now naturally given that we're roughly about 60 employees that said the national attention has allowed us to set that motion now and uh prioritize that now so that's a benefit um that we've been able to face given the crisis and given the added attention that the black lives matter movement has gotten over the past few months rightfully so no that's amazing it seems that there are there are a lot of changes going on in the organization uh so let me ask you you personally you know like if you if you were to say you know this is garrison pre covid-19 and this is garrison uh during pandemic and it will, you know he will be like this going forward what change you know what has changed in you because of all the pandemic you know what what things have you are you doing differently what things are you learning i mean you're a nature leader and you know i think it's a it's a great story to to share the the changes that you yourself have experienced uh, during this time yeah i mean i think i've always been a very organized very <laughs> time driven person i think I never realized how much of that was due to having a social expectation of something. Uh so you know one thing I've chal- I've been struggling with is that I actually see my home 
Um, and maybe this will change when we expand to our larger apartment and I actually have an office, but I've seen my home as a relaxation place. So for me, even though I am a very organized person, you know, if I don't have a meeting till 11, it's very, very hard for me to wake up at seven or eight. Um, and I never really realized that before because there was always the expectation, you know, that I'm in the office at nine or 10 or, you know, I have these set, this set schedule and agenda. So I think that's something that I learned about myself that I never really knew and probably wouldn't have known had I, this not happened. Um, and so I think requiring myself and or scheduling meetings for earlier in the morning, requiring myself to get up earlier, uh, those have been things that I've learned from a personal like scheduling perspective. I think um, from a life perspective, obviously learning to uh, work while also having the life distractions, whether that be my dog barking, whether it be my dog needing to be walked, whether it be my partner walking in the background or, you know, doing something <laughs> for his life, uh, like you maybe just saw. Um, he's he's a stand-up comedian, right? Yeah. So <laughs> dealing with his sets in the background while I'm trying to work, etc. Um, us managing our, both our projects um, has been a learning experience, but I think it also has been a blessing. Um, there are things that I've learned both about myself in terms of that, as well as about other people. Um, and I think, you know, I probably would have had some biases, um, you know, when interviewing people or when doing other things and they were having distractions in the background, honestly, that I've, I've now had to address and just be comfortable with. I think, I don't know if it's maybe my HR brain, maybe it's my work mentality, or maybe it's the fact that I grew up in the South and there's this like hospitality aspect of me that, you know, you have to present a certain thing to certain people. And so that side of me is very much is like, oh, my dog's in the background. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, apologize, overly apologizing yeah. uh, for any interruption. And I think turning that off and, uh, breaking down that bias that I have um, is something that I've had to do over the last several months. But that's that that connects to what you said at the very beginning of our conversation, which is authenticity. We never, we never had the opportunity to have a, a, a quick peep into people's lives. You know, now I know, you know, your partner, you know, I, I didn't know this before. You have a dog, your partner is a standard comedian. And I, I've learned these things in the past few weeks about you uh, because while well, we talk a lot about, you know, grow and, and whatnot, but, the same thing is happening in the workplace. You know, we're getting a look into a window into everybody's lives. And rather than, rather than those things being something to separate us, they have brought us together because now we know, oh, Garrison is not a machine making HR decisions. He's an actual human being who, you know, has a life and his life may not be that different from mine. So I think that is... Um, that, in my view, is a, a, a positive outcome of, of all that's going on, that we are seeing each other more as the human and less as the co-worker or, or the colleague or the boss or the you know, direct report or, or whatnot. So, um, so I think that's been very positive. You know, let, me, let me ask you another question. You, know, you, you are part of the Hacking HR Grow community, the Grow program that we put together. Uh, what, uh, um, part of what we're doing with this program is talking about all the capabilities, competences that leaders, HR leaders will need to successfully lead organizations going forward. Based on all that's going on right now uh, with the pandemic, what do you think will be the most relevant skills that HR leaders will need to embrace to keep their organizations successful, but not only that, to keep them sustainable and even resilient in the face of uh, shocks like the one the one we're going through right now? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first one and the reason why I joined Grow personally um, was to become a more strategic and data-driven. That's one of the things that I know that I want to continue to work on and grow in. I think from a strategy perspective, I, I, can, I can accomplish and have accomplished a lot. I think from the data perspective, as I alluded to earlier, I definitely have room to grow. And that's something my, my boss, my CEO, and, um, and I have talked a lot about is that data piece and me growing in that area and becoming more operational in that sense. So I think one way that HR will continuously have a seat at the table is to be strategic and to be able to understand the business and why the business operates. I think that existed prior to COVID. I think as it relates to COVID, that human element is, is going to be crucial. Um, a lot of my internal comms as it relates to COVID, the shutting down of the office, you know, how we were going to operate amidst COVID came from a human first mentality. So we gave every employee $200 credit to build their own at home office. That was something that I had to fight for from a budget perspective, but from a human perspective, I knew it was important to allow that productivity to increase. So just approaching things very human, human-like um, and kind of breaking down the business jargon that we, that we are used to and kind of just creating comms that is very open, honest and transparent is, is extremely important, especially as it relates to race in the workplace. Um, you know, my company knows that we have one black employee that's not something I can hide. That's not something we can, you know, sugarcoat. We need to work on it. And so falling on that sword and really being the one to say, look, this is something I have not done extremely well. It's something I need to do better. It's something that in our actual space of tech, only 18% of most companies um, are non-white and or black or Latinx. So this is work that needs to be done in the, te in the tech industry as well. So how can we, um, fix this problem is something that I spoke very openly and honestly about. Um, I think, you know, as it relates to DEI, I've spoken about this on LinkedIn and spoken about it at different events, but by 2050, the minority will become the majority. And yeah. we're already seeing in Gen, um, Gen Z and the alpha uh, generation that the workforce is very diverse. And so companies that don't solve racial issues within their own organization, their own systemic racism, their lack of diversity in statistics, um, you're gonna have a recruiting problem um, in five plus years, if not now, um, as it relates to recruiting younger talent. Um, and you'll see that a lot of the diverse, first diverse roles at large companies is a university recruiter. And that's because they understand that the, the junior talent right now and the up and coming talent is very diverse. So the excuse that the talent doesn't exist is a false one because the talent is coming out. And yes, you might have to start with some junior talent before really being able to hire that black leader um, on your leadership team or on your board. But I definitely think that is a major issue facing HR and corporations right now that is just starting to really um, come into fruition. And I think it will be the Me Too movement of today. I think compliance um, or racial discrimination cases will rise. I think conversations about race in the workplace will rise. Complaints to HR will rise. So HR people really need to get educated. And I say this yeah. because while we have diversity of women in leadership, HR has an amazing uh, statistic as it relates to women in leadership. Majority of those women are white. A lot of white women work in HR. Um, and if not white women, then white men. And I say that as a white man as well. So 
we have a lot of work to do. And I guarantee you that we have a lot of education that still needs to be done. And I hear this a lot amongst HR leaders um, that don't have that education. So really, I think starting at the top, we need to educate ourselves, particularly the white women out there. Please educate yourself, particularly as it relates to white feminism, as it relates to, you know, um, white leadership. Um, and as it relates to your own, your own privilege and your own diversity um, as a woman, um, definitely educate yourself so that you can properly address this in the future because HR people, now that we have the seat at the table as a result of COVID, you might struggle in that seat if you're not able to handle the conversations of race in your workplace that are coming and that, or have already happened and your name is gonna be touted in media and it already you already see it with some of the claims that people went yeah. to hr and nothing was done um we have to really be people first and and be prepared for those conversations those difficult conversations and fall on the sword if you have done something wrong or have not handled that properly in the past yeah i you know out of out of all the the very important things that you just mentioned i i i, I wanna i want to rescue this idea of being being vulnerable and and saying this is a problem. We are aware that this is a problem and I don't have the solution. You know, how, how, what do we do? And I think that's something that it doesn't really happen too often in the HR space where you find HR leaders vulnerably and openly saying, we got a problem. I just don't know how to, how to solve it. And then, you know, rallying the entire organization around finding solutions for that problem. So I'm hoping that not only do we become more human in the way we treat others, but we become more human in the way we address our own personal and professional shortcomings. Even for me, yeah, yeah. For me, it was a it was it was a roadblock issue that I kept facing. Like as HR people, I'm sure we all know or have heard or experienced like fighting for our voice to be heard or fighting for a seat at the table. And what I acknowledged was a lot of times there were these issues that I was raising. And there was no one that wanted to fall on the sword or take the blame for it, or no one that wanted to say, this is our problem, or this is our fault. The CEO or the co-founder didn't want to say that they did something wrong or that they didn't do things right. So I kind of took it upon myself and said, you know, I don't have an issue necessarily being the bad guy at times. Um, And so, you know, why don't I take on the blame and the responsibility, or why don't I take it upon myself to share the news and be the one to have to share difficult things um, to the company. So, you know, there have been times that in past companies that where I've shared layoffs, where I've shared, you know, um, issues that we have around diversity, where I've shared these things and I've taken the responsibility that I have in that and I've shared that. And I think that's made me want a more effective leader. It's made me be seen as a more vulnerable person in front of the organization but it's also allowed me to prevent those roadblocks and those natural things. It's very hard to persuade another leader to do that um, if they don't want to, and if that's not in their nature. And so to the extent that I can, I think I've taken that responsibility on myself because I don't want that to be a roadblock. Um, you're so, you know, you're, so, if it's you're showing down with to, your own example. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If, if, if it's going to be a roadblock that, you know, everyone's pointing fingers at who's going to take the blame. I'd rather just say, you know, I'll take the blame or, and, or I will represent the company and taking the blame yeah. and be the one to say it. Um, and I think that's really been very effective as it relates to COVID, as it relates to diversity, as it relates to some of the difficult economic decisions going on right now. Um, you know, 
we, for example, maybe aren't doing a lot of pay raises right now, or we might be doing a pay raise freeze for the next couple of months. I'd rather just say I've decided to do a pay raise freeze until we really figure out, you know, how these next few quarters are going from a business perspective, rather than, you know, no one really wanting to say it, it being a secretive thing, it coming yeah. across as the business is not in good standing. I'd rather just say I made that decision because I was a part of the decision-making process. And maybe the finance person or other people don't want to make that decision because it might say something about the state of our business when really it was a cautious effort that we made to ensure that new business was still coming in. Yeah. And it is. So I just was like, you know, I made this decision or we, I was the one who pushed for this decision to really prevent other people from feeling like they had to be the one to take on that blame or responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad that you are, you know, taking on the uh, responsibility and, and the, uh, and the role of being uh, a leader, vulnerable and communicating effectively and, and whatnot. So Garrison, any last thought that you want to, as we wrap up this conversation, any last thing that you want to share with the audience uh, of this podcast? I think, you know, there are a lot of voices, and I say this as a, as a voice that sat at the bottom for a long time, and I wore many hats early on in my career. You know, I was doing operations, I was doing HR, I was filing the mail, I was doing mm. everything to just move to the top. And I had so many ideas that I would share with my managers, or I would share with my coworkers that were looked down upon because of who I was or where I was within the organization. And as I've grown as an HR person, the main thing I wanted to do is allow those voices to come to the top. And yes, there will always be something that you can toss to the side as never going to happen because it doesn't make sense for the business. But know that there are voices and there are passionate people across your organization, no matter what level they're at, whether they're fresh out of college or whether they're 20 years into their career. And Oftentimes, diversity of thought exists at the bottom for lack of a better reason or for lack of a better phrase. And so really, as an HR leader, find ways to really incentivize and evangelize the thoughts that exist within your organization um, across different levels and spectrums. Um, I say that because I wouldn't be given this opportunity today to be ahead of people um, at the age that I am, had I not fought for my own voice to be heard. And I did that with certain privileges that are given to me as a white man in society. And there, there aren't those privileges for black and brown folks. And they need advocates, mentors, and, and advisors that will take their thoughts and considerations and amplify them um, until their voice is able to be heard within an organization. And so I just say that um, HR can play a really big hand in that. So please do that if you are, have been given the privilege or the responsibility of having any leadership role or any voice um, or seat at the table. Absolutely. Great, great uh, final thought. Thank you so much, Garrison, for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Enrique. I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.